0: Episode 158 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined again today by the whole gang, Brad Ford, Paul Noonan, and Ryan Topp. How are we doing today, guys? I know we're frantically trying to fix our fantasy lineups right now with the whole Chiefs-Patriots thing. (laughs) Work that, Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. With the events that have happened in the last 72 hours, I'm definitely solely focused on baseball and I'm ready to talk about the Brewers and not thinking about anything
0: else that is happening in the world.
2: That's good. Yes. that's good. That's good. That's yeah. great.
0: Yeah, we're, we're, we're super focused right Sloan, now. Sloan knows weekend, so we should be okay here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> a reminder, we are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know, they're great beers like Block Party and the flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. The next time you're in Madison, stop by their brewery on Kinsman Boulevard that's on the east side of town. You can also get a 20% discount on some Carbon 4 merch online just by listening to this podcast. Ryan pointed out, I'm actually wearing my Carbon 4 sweatshirt right now that I got with this promo code. All you got to do is go to Carbon4.com, use our promo code MKETailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support the podcast network at Patreon.com slash MKETailgate. For 5 bucks a month, our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad as well as Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods. You'll get a preview of the Packers game every single week. And uh, we, we actually got something else going on right now for our patrons now too, Paul, right? That's right. Um, so if you sign up for the uh, ball and glove level or higher
3: at the, at the Patreon sites, uh, you'll be entered to win one of five t-shirts that um, I had a small role in creating uh, in conjunction with Acme packing company and football outsiders. Um, Rob Domofsky of ESPN, um, coined coined the um, term for DVOA uh, dorks value only analytics Um, we uh, in making fun of us uh, we decided to take back that slur against us and uh, made very cool t-shirts I got them in the mail yesterday Uh, I have a picture of them on Twitter if you want to see them you can also buy them um, over at the Acme Packing Company and Football Outsiders store if you want but if you join the $5 a month, you'll get the previews for the Packer games, which, by the way, have been like dead on so far. Not to yeah, my horn. Yeah, um, you nailed these. nailed all but, of them. <laughs> but uh, uh, I got five of them to give away. If you uh, sign up by October 15th, I'm going to run a spreadsheet off the patrons and do a random number generator thing and I'll mail them out to you. Um, so uh, that's out there for you. Sign do you up. you want to know what the uh,
1: purchases of the shirts go towards?
3: Uh, yes, they go towards uh, a charity that supports STEM education that's uh, also a good cause to uh, make sure that you understand analytics and don't fall into the Rob Domovsky's trap when your kids grow up,
1: <laughs> which is funny. Cause like Domovsky, like, it's funny. He's like the least, like he never has takes. It's like always just like science and or like not science, but news and news and news. Like, it's generally just like, here's news, here's news, here's news. And then like the one time he becomes like, has any opinion it's just the worst opinion you could
2: have well isn't he the one who always complains that it's too early to play the points game so never go for two isn't that he is that yeah i thought that was uh, him he
3: he was doing that actually as part of a rant against mike mccarthy being extra aggressive one of the funny things about this is uh, by most projection systems and epa projection systems mccarthy actually shouldn't have done it he was actually too aggressive so the analytics actually agreed with domofsky he was just ridiculing them um, un- unknowing what the, you know, without knowing what they actually were telling McCarthy to do, so he was wrong about that. He also he works for ESPN, and they have their own proprietary advanced stats that they use all the time. Demoski is forced to tweet them out. Now I always imagine him doing
1: so with kind of a disgusted look on his face. Um, <laughs> he, he has like a vomit bucket on the side, and he's yeah. just, like, as he's tweeting out QBR, he's like, Bleh. he did it. He did it the Blah. same.
3: <laughs> did it the same week they brought out their pass block win rate stats, which I will confess I don't quite get. But does seem seems to line up with reality pretty well. But he had to go and tout it like all week long, and everybody in his mentions was like, "Oh, so we're on board with this now, are we? Oh, is this a basic old school stat? Oh, How did you guys get this? Just old grit and grunting." And blah. It was, <laughs> oh, it was a weak. good Good times.
1: I uh I also like the pure hatred. It's funny because like we're watching NFL go through a very MLB type development that MLB was going through about three years ago right where okay. like war was coming on or like becoming significantly relevant to a lot of people including front offices yeah. where it had been relevant for six or seven years to people who were very interested in that type of analysis uh, but like every like now you're listening to people on the broadcast being like and here they go trying to get it on fourth and one because this is the new football <laughs> And like the broadcasters are always so cranky and I was like oh I remember this I remember Rock being like uh, yeah, you base it off of war, but war will never tell you who's going to slap it into play randomly and who has grit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now Rock actually is one of the better broadcasters about accepting advanced analytics. He is. Yeah. It's funny
3: how that goes. My my example was like Tom Haudricard. He mm. He's an old man. He, he doesn't necessarily like the advanced stats. He doesn't dig that deeply into them, but he has a basic understanding of war and he's on board with being able to explain it and he knows front offices use this stuff. So he's a good sport about it. It's f- football is harder to do because you got so many more meatheads, like just a- actively aggressive deniers that this is useful. Um, but it, right. it, it's still funny to see in this day and age, when, especially when I've already been through this battle. Like, like really, we are still doing this?
2: Yeah. Uh, the thing that with Hottercourt, the thing that seemed to have have turned him around on it was Keith Law making the point. Because I remember when Hottercourt was on Keith Law's old podcast way back when, and basically they had a conversation about well even if you don't believe in this stuff you have to acknowledge that this is now what front offices are using and yeah. so your beat if you are a good reporter you're covering your beat so you're you're finding out why they're making the decisions they're they're making and that's part of your job so you you kind of have to get on board with it that way at least to understand it and not be dismissive of it and i think that was kind of what turned him around because at you know the most basic level tom Hardcourt's a good reporter
0: yeah indeed Well, I guess speaking of analytics, any analytic you look at would tell you that the Brewers were trash this year and uh, they <laughs> were even worse in hey, the playoffs. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa. The Brewers transition.
1: offense was trash this year.
0: That's Yes, I'm being too harsh. Uh, uh, Overreacting I mean, to what we saw this and week. Like,
1: and then two thirds of their pitching was great and one third was just God awful. When you're when you're trash at half the game, you're trash at the game. I think we yes. Can all. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I just need to have one positive to look forward to. Leave me. Leave me be. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. So the Brewers' season officially over. Uh, they got predictably swept by the Los Angeles Dodgers, who Brad pointed out are a super team and terrifying last week. Uh, that <laughs> poured <laughs> out to be true. Uh. Brewers lost game one, four to two, which is actually, you know, kind of closer maybe than we would have expected considering Brent Suter could not throw a strike to save his life. Oh if God. Suter would have been on that game, they could have stolen that game. And yep. They only
3: scored two runs, but uh, th- that that maybe would have been enough if he just could have eked out
0: a little bit better performance. With, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to watch them anymore, but no. still. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually uh, kind of went back and looked through the box scores again this morning. Only 21 of his 51 pitches were strikes, which, ouch. I guess you could predict that when you have five walks in less than two innings, but yeah. yikes. that's that's like the kind of uh, stuff that you don't expect that we haven't really seen from Suter yep. in like a year and a half, right? Brent so. Suter
2: had five walks all season, and then he walked five in an inning in two-thirds. Yep. And that just, like, you can't predict that, though. I mean... I'm not going to complain about the strike zone because it was consistent both ways. He just that guy had a tiny strike zone. Like we haven't really seen that much this year.
1: It, it based on I was watching pretty hard and it seemed actually pretty accurate. It felt tighter than it was, but her, but like he was actually calling a aside from a few pitches here and there a pretty good strike zone. Which yeah, I was like, like I, I can't watch this and like argue like that. Brent Suter is really getting cut
2: off. I think we're used to a bigger zone this year. Yeah. He was
1: used to a bigger zone but
3: those were i think mostly fair calls and and he was missing. Like he was clearly not himself. Right. Yes. I think he, i think he got spooked by the first couple dodgers um making some good contact off some of his like spoiled pitches out of the zone and got afraid. That's what it looked like to me or at least decided he had to nibble more even than he normally does and just kind of lost it because like mookie betts was crushing anything he got his bat on, foul fair whatever and I don't know if that would freak me out if I was out there throwing 84 and all season I was getting the right way with throwing 84 and all of a sudden you play the super team for the first time and they mash everything that they can touch. And uh, I don't know, not, I I don't really blame Suter that much for that. I think that's a tough spot to be in. Dodgers are awesome. And, uh, what are you going to do? tip your cap sometimes.
1: I'm also not going to get upset with an uncharacteristic performance being the thing that really gave away the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's an uncharacteristic performance and also he left and they were still within plenty of space to win there was yeah. still room to find a victory in there
2: especially after Orlando Arcia hit his home run
0: oh my god <laughs> yes. playoff arcia man. Uh, by the it's way yeah, yeah. <laughs> career all-time playoff home run leader orlando arcia oh, tied to- with prince tied with tied prince correct i went into this game feeling pretty good
1: but after The Brewers were getting injured through the game was when I was like, oh, okay. So they're just going to not do anything because once you have Tyrone Taylor take over for your third best hitter in the lineup and you already have offensive struggles, you're kind of boned. I mean, I like Tyrone Taylor. I think he'll be a valuable fourth, fifth outfielder next season, but You don't want them as a key, as your fourth hitter. And I mean, we know lineup construction doesn't matter, but you don't want them as one of your hitters in a playoff series against one of the best teams in baseball, the best team in baseball.
2: No. And that's the big thing here too, is that the Dodgers are really, really, really good. And we shouldn't have expected the Brewers to beat them, but because of just the stupidity of a three game series and Mm All that anything, any stupid thing could have happened. They could have stolen that, that first game. If Suter had just, you know, been a little bit better and not gotten spooked like Paul was talking about, they could have won. So it what we did see was a lot of chalk going through for the most part. Like what were the real surprises from that first round? I guess the Marlins beating the Cubs was qualifies as like a, a yeah. legitimate surprise.
0: Well Cubs like dominating the, the Cubs. Cubs. Yeah. Yeah, that one wasn't even really competitive. I guess you could say maybe uh, Houston over the Twins, but the the Twins just looked bad from the start, and yeah, they really did. there. Um, I, I would say Padres
1: Cardinals is always twice. It ended up being surprising that the Padres came back in that because of like they were down two to six.
0: came back to win 11 to nine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But you know, like, I don't know how much, if you pay attention to the Padres all year, I I was watching that game and they had noted like nobody's come from behind more than the Padres this year. So that's kind of their thing too, is they fall behind early and then they just mash. So yeah. But other than that, like a lot of, a lot of chalk, I guess you could say. I think
1: Yankees over Indians was one of the like non-chalk things, but also it's the Yankees. So I don't think it's ever surprising anybody.
0: I guess by seeding, that would have been an upset, but I don't think yeah. anybody really was expecting the Yankees not to get out of that first round. You had the Rays just totally stomped the Jays. Man, the White Sox collapsing like they did, though, too, was kind of surprising to me. That was surprising. I feel like they were
3: kind of, I mean, small series being what they are. Who, who could predict anything? But yeah, they seem kind of built for this.
2: But the A's are also really good. Like Brad had they that are. right in our, our season preview. He was. Yep. That, that yeah. the A's are a legitimately really good team. They're probably the second best team behind the uh, behind the Rays in the American League, right? Like,
1: yeah. It's just so easy to forget about them, like because they don't have a lot of star names. They just have a lot of players who are on an equal level, which is mm-hmm. like a weird thing to say. They don't have those like headline grabbing players, but they have a lot of players who all contribute at an even pace.
2: Well, and the guy who actually was their star in Matt Chapman, you know, pretty big name, got hurt. So that Mm -hmm. that also does change things there. But, I mean, they play in the West Coast. They play in, you know, raw sewage. And, like, (laughs) they're just yeah, like, they're kind of always an afterthought. And Billy Bean just continues to weave his magic. So
3: he does. You know, I'm not surprised by any of the Central teams having lost because one one of the crazy stats about the Central is that the Brewers, had they scored one more run would have had the second best offense in, in the central, Um, (laughs) they they finished two one hundredths of a run behind St. Louis for that mark. And, you know, we've all seen the Brewer offense play all year. And a lot of that's bolstered by their 37 run out, put that, those two games that one week, but like, that's how bad the whole division was. Nobody could score any runs. And even the Cubs who led the division like had a pretty bad offense. They're still a bottom 10 offense. They didn't score any runs in the playoffs either. So I don't think it's surprising any of those teams got wiped out. They had, they were all hugely flawed um, on offense, including yeah, the yeah.
0: Outside Damn. of the Cardinals, uh, the the Brewers had the second highest run scored out of the NL Central yeah. teams, and they scored all of two runs. Yep. At least we didn't get shut out in twenty-two innings. Yep, there's <laughs> that. like, that's that's, that's beautiful. the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, <laughs> I had a little fun innings. with that. I had fun with that, you know, especially after they spent all that money on Mustakas and Castellanos. Yep. And everybody was yelling that the Brewers should have spent like that. And look at that, they both ended up being pure garbage in the play. <laughs> I thought the like to have eleven hits in that game
1: and not score a run it was fascinating. Like obviously the Braves have I would argue actually better pitching than the Dodgers. Ah, uh, their mm. bullpen's a little weaker in the back mm. end, but their starters are pretty dominant. It's, it's comparable, Let's but just they go with good pitching. They have clearly so yes, very they good. Have, pitching. They have very, very good pitching, but still to like get eleven hits against them and not score a run
0: and like for thirteen innings. Yeah, that that game was insane, being scoreless as long as it was. It was yep. purely a, a display of offensive ineptitude. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, not really surprised any of the central teams, AL or NL, kind of did well. But speaking of great pitching, we, that's pretty much what knocked the Brewers out was Clayton Kershaw's dominant oh, performance. Probably probably the best uh, start of his postseason career for a guy who's pretty much been maligned for failures in the postseason, striking out 13 Brewers over eight shutout innings. Which is uh, funny that they kept bringing that up, because I feel like playoff Kershaw kind of
1: proved himself in that first World Series year, right? Like Since then, he's been significantly better. So I after do the think last he's three, got a bad rap, yeah. But Yeah. Also, drinking like out 13 Brewers
3: teams. is like, who cares? you Yeah. Like, yeah. You're in the club.
1: <laughs> yeah. Walker Buehler had like 11, didn't he? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, he just did it the day before.
0: <laughs> right. So you could argue, yeah, the, the Brewers aren't a uh... – offensive force like, uh, you know, Kershaw's run into before like the nationals or anybody else, but he did. He does have a career ERA over four in the playoffs, but kind of, I noted this in the brew ball series preview. He's also had a ton of opportunities to pitch in the playoffs. So of course you're going to get like some of that variance too, when you're, basically pitching another half season of your career in the postseason Well, it's kind of
2: Maddox-y where Maddox was not a great postseason pitcher he had good games in the postseason but Mm -hmm. he also just he had games where Greg Maddox was great and I think Kershaw is is somewhat also as well in that he can dominate like mediocre to bad lineups like every single time like he'll just he'll go out and do that better lineups are a little bit harder because it's not quite the same you know level of of stuff that you know they there's ways for you to get hits against guys like Maddox and Kershaw it's you know the comparison is it's a little bit faulty in that I think Kershaw even you know at Kershaw had better stuff than than Maddox especially once Maddox was in the playoffs on a regular basis right like once he got to that point but because people forget Maddox was a hard thrower when he came up it just was by the time anybody knew who he was which was around you know when he goes to the Braves and he's like in his mid to late 20s then he had lost that velocity and was right. more of a guile pitcher at that point so but which you, is you, now
1: what Kershaw's becoming which is weird cuz he used to be the 98 guy and he's only 32 and he's already down to like normal velocities i guess for still hard for a lefty but yeah um, well, and he's not, back
2: up this year compared to where he was. He His velocity has spiked up a little bit.
1: But the Brewers yep. can normally touch him up. Like, the good offense is obviously not this one. But even in the the previous years, because they've been so good at hitting lefty pitchers, like, even Kershaw isn't invulnerable to that. So I guess that's what gave me a little hope was just their history against him. But then you lose one of your best lefty, the hitters who dominate lefties the best, in Ryan Braun. You know, he, he if he's your hope with how bad the offense has been this season, you, you see Kershaw go through that lineup once. You're like, OK, I guess this is time to just watch one of Kershaw's best postseason starts and enjoy it for what it is, because he's a generational talent.
0: I mean, uh, yeah, Woodruff went toe to toe for a few innings there. But once once the brave or the Dodgers started scoring, you know, like Mookie's double was about when I turned it off and went back yeah. to bed. So
3: um,
0: Kudos to Woodruff for getting tossed as well. It was
3: uh,
1: <laughs> warranted and hilarious.
3: Which I is was upset
1: that the thing that got Woodruff was he really focused on that missed strike call, which there wasn't as bad as he made it out to be like it's you, Woodruff you every,
3: got... every time he has trouble, it's just one thing gets in his head and then he freaks out and loses it. It's like the season that that whole game was microcosm of the whole season. Like guys get hurt. Guys can't hit Woodruff blows it because something annoys
1: him. And uh, yep, here we are. You gotta like get that guy like a sports psychologist in the off to yeah. <laughs> like calm him down about you those should. little things because yeah. that that was I mean truly like one thing would happen like he'd miss a spot he thought he deserved in the zone and then he'd have those that fourth inning blow up, but in this time it was a fifth inning blow up that you know the bullpen has to come out and save the day, but otherwise if he just stayed focused. He dominated them. He made good hitters look like idiots. Yeah. Yes,
2: he did. He was consistently getting swings and misses yeah. on them. And I think, you know, also you had the, the defensive issue that I think played into him losing it a little bit there. So
0: Yeah, losing it out there with Urias trying to make a tough play but short-hopping the throw to Jerko, who is not an actual first baseman. So you had a person who is not an actual third baseman throwing to a person who is not an actual first baseman, and lo and behold... Defensive issues arise. Yeah, so. that's, that's the Brewers way. <laughs> As it
1: was, the shall always be. <laughs> right. But that's one that Jericho has to get. Yeah. I can believe that he missed that. and they, they put a lot of blame on Uri's for the short hop. But I think you always expect a major league first baseman to get it. But the point being, he's not a he's major not. league first yep. baseman. So you either way, he, he has to get that. So it, it's a bummer. But again, you got to move past it.
0: Right. I guess taking, uh, shifting to the, I guess, 10,000 foot view, looking at the series as a whole, I guess, Paul, does the result of the series surprise you at all?
3: No, not at all. In fact, if you were trying to predict exactly how the series would go, you would probably land on this most of the time. (laughs) Brewers didn't score any runs, got dominated by a good Dodger lineup or pitching staff, and weren't able to keep up with the bats on the other side. Like again, got swept by the best team in the National League. There are literally no surprises about this at all. Old guys got hurt. Um, nobody turned the offense around. Vogelbach did something, and Arcia did something again. The, if you're going to predict like the random Brewer offensive output, that's probably about right. Um, I would say that this is maybe the least surprising possible outcome for this this series. And, you know, we kept saying anything could happen in three games, but it turned out the most predictable thing possible happened in three games. (laughs) (laughs) They lost two games
0: by three runs or less. Right. So there you go.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would say is that if you had told me before the series that the Brewers would get swept in two games and the Dodgers would score seven runs, I'd be like, oh, So the Brewers actually kind of held the offense in check somewhat, especially once we knew that Corbin Burns was out and that Devin Williams was out. It was like, oh, so we lost our two best pitchers going into a series against one of the best offenses we've really ever seen in baseball. And that would be, you know, so so holding them to seven runs would qualify as you know, a minor victory, I guess there, even though like (laughs) it doesn't really matter, but it's, it does qualify as a minor victory, but yeah, nothing else about this is remotely surprising.
1: Yeah. I think that's the thing is, uh, I think Paul summed it up very well is, you know, we all hope for Rand like the RNG of baseball to save the game (laughs) and make this interesting. And instead we got exactly what, statistically was the most predictable result which is fine we know the brewers were flawed the season it's a 60 game season whatever stupid things happen just let it go because it's it's stupid especially when christian yelich was exactly what christian yelich isn't it's fine so we we dealt with that and we got exactly the most predictable result but also they did okay against the best team in baseball inarguably arguably the best team in baseball in my opinion and they did it without three of their four best pitchers
0: yeah I guess that was going to be my next question and Brad you you and Ryan both kind of touched on this was there anything good to take out of this postseason appearance I mean the two games were low scoring and in and kind of boring in that aspect but i guess paul can you at least take away like hey the pitching did okay especially considering yeah, Corbin I mean, in?
3: considering they were so under the gun pitching wise i i think that's something you can take away from it uh it's hard to take lessons from two games but uh mm-hmm. you know uh, there are spots in the brewer bullpen that are vulnerable to getting scored on in a lot and they're uh sometimes play those guys and punt games away but everybody held their own pretty well um even when they had to stretch a little bit so that, i mean that's positive i suppose um uh, I don't know. Uh, like you can't really take our performance as a positive because <laughs> he's done this before and it doesn't carry over at all. So there's that uh, there's no offensive goodness to this at all. So uh, it's all pitching, but we already knew that the pitching was, was, you know, good. It's the strength of the team. So I don't, I don't really think we learned any lessons either. Uh, it's Kind of bad for all those reasons. Like nobody really showed up. That was surprising.
1: Um, I would argue against that. Only that yeah, right. Avi Garcia actually had some hard contact, which is not yeah, something we really saw from him. True. I was going to say
0: he, he he was actually probably the best offensive player in the series for the Brewers. He went four for eight, granted all singles, but still.
1: <laughs> right. But uh, I mean, uh, no, he had the double, right? No, it was an error because no, they booted it. it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But even like his outs were like smoked hot liners to the gap that the yeah. Dodgers just had the fastest outfield in baseball and they caught it anyway. So it's one of those things. I don't think that's actually accurate. It just feels like the Dodgers have all-star field defensive team, all-star offensive team, all-star pitching team, all-star bullpen. Like everything about them is all-star. So it's just like, eh, whatever, you're screwed no matter what you do, unless it's a bloop gap that someone literally kicks into the foul line.
3: Yep. I mean, this contact was good, but I don't get excited
1: about singles. Just, I I don't know. (laughs) Hit some home runs, somebody, please. Yeah, but as a analytics nerd i get excited about 100 plus mile
0: per hour hits consistently sure I and don't. maybe that maybe that gives you some hope i guess of him finding gaps next year but i think that was the big knock on avi was all right his on base percentage ended up being all right this year uh but he just didn't hit for any power at all yeah and I, I know like i think paul is probably concerned about that heading into the year that is you know he's had Hasn't he only had like 120 home run season and it was the Super Bowl year or something like year. that?
3: As, so he's had, he, is he had 120? He has, he had like three in a row that were high teens, which, you know, in the juice ball season isn't great. It's fine. Um, yeah. But there's reason to be skeptical of his ability to crank him out going forward. Yes. And hard hit balls are fine, but if you don't elevate them and do it consistently, they don't leave the yard that much. So um, you know, there's actually not a huge correlation between. Um, exit velocity in production. It, it's one of the mysteries of baseball right now. So i like to see it. It's better than not hitting the ball hard for sure, but it's certainly no guarantee that he's going to
1: start mashing again next year either. So. Right. Well, it, it is a correlation success if there's other factors that add into it, which yes. aren't factors That's that tr- correlate to Avi's profile. That's like true. His, his launch angle is like seven. Yep. Not, which is not conducive to homers. <laughs> I think the other thing that I thought was beneficial was you saw guys who are going to play large roles next season, kind of overcome their struggles in that Eric Yardley and Adrian Hauser, who are both very susceptible to lefty mashers, which are is the Dodgers lineup (laughs) did not get destroyed by lefty mashers, which I, once Yardley came out after Suter, I was like, okay, six, (laughs) six thrown game. (laughs) Like, here we go. Uh, But he did two and a third of very clean baseball. Then you had Adrian Hauser, pitching in garbage time more or less and he to actually oh yeah <laughs> yeah two shutout innings against his biggest vice all season True. and it's not like the dodgers ever wanted to stop scoring runs in that game the dodgers love scoring runs it will keep <laughs> them going the more runs they score the happier they keep the dodger baseball gods and there you go they feed your blood to their uh the people they worship and that's how they get their dodger power i think those yeah. were also very promising was that aside from the few flaws and guys you aren't really worried about, I'm not worried about Brent Suter doing more, having a lot of five walk appearances. That's not something that concerns me. I'm not worried about Brandon Woodruff in the long run. Uh, we know that his talent is top tier. So those, those two guys were the most flawed in the series. And then Freddie Peralta was what Freddie Peralta is. You know, he came out, he, he gave up a hard hit ball And then he was good. And that's Freddie Peralta. (laughs) (laughs) Wild card.
0: Yeah, you know, given the way that this season went and especially the way that they got into the playoffs, I don't know if you're going to find many fans who are truly like disappointed or upset about the way this series went. It's sort of like, you know, it was sort of expected at this point. And I think a lot of people just kind of took the attitude of, well, if they get one win, cool if they get swept <laughs> at least we don't have to watch this team anymore so really you know right. <laughs>
3: yeah, the worst part of the season is just having to watch the offense struggle so much and just waiting for it to come around to come around and just never having it happen so i think the, having the break of the offseason and you know a real spring training that guys can work on stuff will at least provide some hope next year but like it was just painful so it, i know everybody was sad that they lost but it's, it was so unexpected against the Dodgers. And, um, you know, it's not like the offense just clicked into gear. I think was kind of hoping playoffs are here. Maybe some, somebody will figure it out. Maybe um, they'll have the extra adrenaline and muscle a few over. Whatever didn't happen once it became clear that they weren't going to put runs on the board. Uh, I was kind of
1: out <laughs> right. and not sad. Um, not as sad as I would have been in a normal season. Did you see another predictable result that's already happening now that uh, teams have been eliminated and we're moving out of the next round? in that manager, general managers and owners are already posturing for not playing people anything as they prepare to have, quote-unquote, no fans next season. Well, we don't know what our governors or senators are going to allow in our baseball stadiums for next season. Already starting. Already underway. Good times. Yeah, it'll be, I guess, an interesting offseason. They'll have
3: fans next year, but they're going to claim that they won't until the last minute of spending.
1: (laughs) No! Baseball owners? GMs? <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't behave like that. That's, <laughs> no, not at that's all. crazy talk. Nah. Yeah. They love fair compensation. They're very much
0: workers advocates from my remembrance. On the note of, I guess, looking ahead to next year, you know, we talked about just how badly the rest of the NL Central struggled in the playoffs. It's pretty clear that nobody in the division is very good. I guess, does that give you any hope heading into next year? That is kind of an open field here, Paul?
3: Uh... I feel like, the, like the, the misery police here. So, yes, it does, because it's better to have worse um, people in your division to play against. However, um, I, I always think these are a bit of a double-edged sword, because um, if you're building the team, you can also build your team to compete in the division, and you don't have to be as good in the central to win it. You just have to be better than kind of some bad teams. Now, the, and the Cubs can fix themselves if they want to, because they have infinite resources, they might not because everybody's crying poor and they cried poor last year even though they're not poor and
0: yeah it, it, also um, did you see uh Theo might just leave a year early too so yeah. that could throw the cubs into a whole situation of disarray there that'd be fun i'm i'm for that um
3: but uh it, it's good if you want to compete for the playoffs and that's all fine um and the playoffs may still include you know a billion teams also whatever um but it's not good for having the Brewers like have incentives to go out and fix a lot of problems. So, yeah, I guess I, I in the, like in the Packers division, I'm always like, well, this is great. Everybody's incompetent except the Packers. Yay for us. Um, I I guess I don't, I should feel the same way in baseball to be consistent, but I kind of don't, I'm not sure why, just, I I want my baseball team to be better. I guess I want them to score a billion runs. I'm sick of not scoring runs.
1: I think the issue in baseball is that you actually have the played out series, which means the better team wins versus football where the randomness is much more of a factor. Uh, and that also in football, when you, the best player on your field is the most important position, there's much more, uh, room for success than there is one player being
0: significantly good while the others
1: are crap in baseball.
0: All true. All right. Well, with everybody in the NL central out and the AL central out too, kind of leads us to our first Patreon question comes from Adam post. He says, who are you hoping wins the world series now that the Brewers are eliminated? I guess, Ryan.
2: Oh, I'm definitely wanting the Dodgers to win it for a number of reasons, though. I guess. So being eliminated by them, one, That helps. Two, they're just really well run. And I hate that they haven't won a World Series in this run because it like it's too random. It's it's not like they should have won a World Series in this run that they've had with Friedman and how well they do things. And like I want baseball to have that sort of sense of uh, of sense to it, though, like if the A's end up winning, that would also be awesome or frankly, the Rays. So I, I'm I'm all for any of those things happening. Basically, most of the teams that I truly hate are already gone. So I <laughs> I don't have to root against Cardinals. I don't have to root against the Cubs. I, I do get to root against the Yankees. That's good. So we've mm-hmm. got that. But really, for the most part, like, I just like to see the chalk outcome happen here, even though that probably, I don't know, it, it probably isn't great for baseball in terms of them expanding the playoffs permanently if the Dodgers end up winning it's like oh look the best team won okay so this system that we've devised that's really stupid we can point to it and go it still produced the best team winning so it must be okay but I still want to see them win just because like over the course of this last half decade they should have won a world series they they just should have
1: Kershaw's only ring is going to be the 60 game season yeah oh, god <laughs>
3: well as long as he pitches yeah. well
2: in the postseason then that narrative will get written and people will be like oh yeah like clayton kershaw is is the ace that was promised or whatever so
1: i think the thing is with the eight with the six the reason the 16 team playoffs were good this year was because it can kind of help you unwrite that narrative of, well, it was just a 60 game season, right? Cause it makes up for that variability that we're not get really fixing by playing 162 games. It makes up for what could what could have been because of that. So then when you have dominant performances against the teams that are actually good and made it, I mean the Braves and Dodgers were basically who we expected to be there. And there they are at the top. Like there's a lot of things that were expected still in a 162 game season becoming true in this year. So I think that does end up validating the season as a whole. And the only very weird thing is the Marlins being in the second round of the playoffs, but also one random weird team would be part of those playoffs anyways, because that's how baseball always goes. So why not the Marlins? Well, and the Marlins probably...
2: don't lose playoff series. So like that's yes. just science <laughs> like they'll just win every playoff series they ever play.
1: They're probably the only team I'm actively rooting against because I I mean they screwed up a third of the season because of their behavior off the field and I don't want them to get a reward for
2: well they were they were not like the cardinals though they apparently no. the reason that they that they had the outbreak was not due to what originally had been reported, thanks Bob Nightingale um, those rumors turned out not to be true so bad yeah and it was it was very innocent things that had caused them as opposed to the cardinals who actually were irresponsible
1: i it's still like you know if you had followed social protocols, maybe it would have been twenty people in your entire roster you know it's. If, if there were things that were taken more seriously, you probably could have limited it like other teams who had small outbreaks did.
2: Yeah. Well, and teams, they were the first. And so teams kind of yeah. learned from them what not to do. Like, hey, this is these are things you can't do and have this work. So, yeah,
1: there's a lot yeah. of hindsight benefit. that The other teams got thanks to them. Right. So they're the one team I'm not actively rooting against, but it's probably the one where I was like, if there's a team who I can find, at least in the NL. It it's them because of that and what happened to their season. However, and did you guys see? Oh, the Cardinal season ends, but they came so far despite the trials
0: and tribulations yeah, they had yeah, to face yeah. in the season. I can do I can do without like the Saps stories? of so um, bad like, redemption tour. Like we we all fought so hard to get through. <laughs> Meanwhile, like the Cubs had zero cases in uh, summer camp or the entire season. Yep, and you know you're not seeing the glowing profiles about David Ross and. Uh, how he's kept them all accountable and, and they've overcome right. whatever is, uh, I, i'm pulling for houston i'd just like to say because i hate the expanded playoffs so I want, the loser,
3: <laughs> I want the loser team everybody hates to win it um so that astros that,
0: over
1: dodgers again
0: just that's I,
3: I was
1: legitimately gonna say i want astros over dodgers even better screw rob manfred <laughs> yeah
3: I, either astros over dodgers or the most boring possible matchup so miami or maybe san diego although san Diego's fun to watch i understand However, you know there are no there actually are no Padres fans. So um, <laughs> there's a lot
1: of Padres. I hate the term bandwagon, but there are a lot of ter- like national fans who are hopping on the Padres because yeah. they had the most exciting player in baseball.
3: Mm-hmm. Right, and it's not the Padres' fault that they don't have any fans. It's just that San Diego is a place where other people from other places go, and they already have baseball teams that they like so there are no native san diegans so and and the
1: padres haven't given them reason to switch over for the last 20 years anyway so
0: exactly (laughs) same issues the rays have in florida right like it's just a bunch of yankees fans living in tampa it's not really a race
3: so so go houston
0: um i hope you pull it together and find a way to cheat over the last couple weeks here
1: yep i'm (laughs) i'm pro team houston because i want anything and everything that could screw over rob manfred's new bad playoff system to happen I guess what I want, ideally, is for Houston to get like win the World Series and have like in Game
3: Six or Five of the World Series an obvious revelation that they've been cheating again. Like <laughs> somebody <laughs> picks up on like, or something like that. somebody yeah, picks I up exactly. on like a police scanner that they're transmitting data. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know what it would look like. Um, I, I a man in white in scandals. the outfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Something like that. Like if somebody picks up on like a laser, like there, there's one guy out there with a laser pointer, like something <laughs> like that. that uh, so that's my ideal scenario is that they win by clearly cheating, but it's too late to do anything about it. And they shouldn't have even been in the
1: playoffs in the first place. That,
3: Plus, that's where
1: one of the most irresponsible managers in
0: baseball history could get his ring. Dusty, yeah. I mean, I want Dusty to get a ring. He he's I don't actually no dislike Dusty. Dusty's fine. I, I have no issues yeah. with Dusty. I don't actually dislike Dusty. I
1: just like that narrative more than anything. It's like Dusty is actually a funny, enjoyable person when you yeah. get down to bear tax. Like him yelling at uh, Joe Kelly <laughs> <laughs> was just hysterical early in the season. But that's that's I think it would just be funny and kind of boring in the same way where I wouldn't feel the need to watch it, but if they win, cool. Uh, Dodgers Rays would be the most as a baseball fan rewarding.
0: Sure. I guess personally, I, I'm i cheering for San Diego. Just like Paul said, they're a lot of fun to watch. And I think, you know, we saw with the Cubs, there's no guarantee when you have that young core that you're ever going to get more than one. So, hey, get it while it, it it's going hot. And, yeah. and hopefully they get it before, you know, Tatis sends up on the Yankees five years from now.
2: Uh, but I right. hate
1: Manny Machado so much. He stepped on a yeah. guy. Yeah. And like everyone sent me, or not everyone, but a couple people sent me, like, oh well, like he's been a really good influence on the Padres. Yeah, he's he's big brother now, right? He's yeah. He's but here, here's the thing: it's okay if you're a good person in those moments where you can practice being a good person. But in those moments where you have that are like moments of passion and you show your true character, and it's stepping on a person with cleats on that generally is the person you really are. So I don't trust like new Manny Machado. I trust the one I saw in the moment of passion where he didn't have the time to correct his behavior and went for his gut instinct, which was step on man.
0: Maybe we'll get the the Aguilar and uh, Manny Machado rematch in the NFCF here. <laughs> Padres, Padres Marlins.
1: Oh God. And so
0: how depressing is it that the team
1: going far is the team with all of our old <laughs> like throwaways?
2: Yeah, there is definitely, yeah. The, Garrett the Cooper hitting the big home run. <laughs>
3: it's, oh. been a, it's been a oh, big, man. big playoff for ex-brewers, generally speaking. Not,
1: uh, not... The the Garrett Cooper one is the most damning for me because I kept being the guy who was like, guys, this this first baseman means nothing. Get over And granted, yeah. like more often than not, Garrett Cooper has not been a dominant first baseman in, in Major League Baseball, but he's been more valuable than a lot of the first baseman that the Brewers have dealt with since. So yes. it's it's, but we got Vogelbach now, so everything's fine.
0: It's all good. Yeah. All right. Uh, a few other kind of end of year Patreon questions. Uh, we got two from Jay Google. His first one is: Are Burns and Williams the only bright spots on what was a disappointing season? I guess Ryan, take it.
2: No, I mean there are other bright spots. They're the biggest bright spots by far. When you have you Burns, uh, pretty much legitimately turning into a very, very good pitcher in front of our eyes, and it's based on stuff that we can see. He made real changes to his game. So this isn't like some small sample fluke or whatever. You can say he changed who he was as a pitcher, and he is a lot better now. And so does that mean that he's going to be this great going forward? Probably not, but you you can at least take something from this and say this is a real legitimate change. And then Devin Williams just emerged as that uh, that changeup became a true weapon, and like add that to the the fact he's throwing ninety eight on the black. Like as long as he's doing that, he is a very good pitcher too. So those are those are good. But beyond those guys, you had a number of pitchers. Brent Suter had a great season until you know the unpleasantness, and uh, Freddie Peralta also showed some really good improvement i think we can look forward to freddie peralta being an impact piece of the pitching staff in some way whether it's as a reliever or or as a starter that's hard to say but i think we can look forward to that even down to guys like uh, eric yardley like i still am skeptical that he's anywhere near as good as what he was this year but there's still something there like you you have something to to continue to work with going forward so there's plenty of things like that unfortunately it's pretty much all on the pitching side unless you count Jed Jerko
1: <laughs> or or Volgobach. like it's yeah. it's yeah. two players hitters that weren't really supposed to be important and if they continue doing well are great but you need your MVP to start hitting again <laughs> yep. uh, right. which is very frustrating I think you're right that they're just the brightest spots I can't wait for the questions as we, as the Brewers continue not to sign a pitcher this offseason. If it, okay. it's time to move Devin Williams back into the rotation, that'll be fun. Well, he has starting experience, so why not? It's yeah. like Josh Hader oh, 3.0. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, those are definitely the brightest spots. But I think when you really get into a lot of the back numbers that show you performance versus outcome is when you can find a lot of the brighter not brighter moments, but additional bright moments. And I think Freddie Peralta's a big one. We talked about what his DRA and FIP are that make you kind of hopeful for what his future is going to be. And maybe he'll be the third one to come around in that Burns Woodruff group. I think another thing is David Stearns sent a sleeper agent over to the Philadelphia Phillies who helped us get that wild card <laughs> banner and brought three young pitchers over to the organization, which is always fun and exciting. But there there were some other promising moments, uh, the arrival of to the majors of Rasmussen, which I think is just a good story that we didn't really get to focus on as much because he did have hiccups here and there in the game. But overall, he showed that he's going to be a valuable bullpen piece in the future. There, There's a lot of bright spots, but like Ryan said aside from Jed Jericho and Daniel Vogelbach, who aren't the people you want to be the only good offensive stories. There no. were only two offensive stories that were good. <laughs> Unless you count like the 10 days that Lorenzo Kane was performing like himself again. Yeah. Or a tiny, tiny breakout from Manny Pena
3: before he, he got hurt too. But that's uh, the offense is sad, no matter how you slice it, because that's like, Lorenzo Cain, awesome. Not playing Manny Pena, a little bit of an offensive breakout, not playing. And that's it. Also, uh, I don't know anything about Justin Telpa other than he's kind of old, but he was also dynamite in his very small sample. He had twelve strikeouts in seven innings,
1: and uh, I don't know, he, he might be something too. How how bad were they this year? That the, one of the players we were most excited about was Jacob Nottingham, who had yeah. a seven thirty six OPS with a one eighty eight <laughs> batting average.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention to Nottingham <laughs> yeah, at least geez. got some run that we can not <laughs> see, but yeah, that some power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He just looks like a masher. I I, I'm just a Jacob Nottingham fan because he looks like a pro wrestler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I
1: like I like him as like a platoon catcher who catches, you know, somewhat frequently. Uh, But I, Paul, to go with your thing, Topa. I tweeted this out. He's the story we all want a Nate Orf to be. He's the guy who came <laughs> yeah. up from like independent ball who like scratched and clawed his way. And finally is getting his major league moment. All well, except for when Nate Orff got his major league moment, he just struck out a ton and hit one home run on the 4th of July. Uh, hey, oh, that was a with, big one. I know he got carried like Rudy off the damn. Yeah. Field. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I mean, the, the difference is that Justin Topa has like legit major league skill sets. He,
0: he does. I mean, He's thrown 99 on the corners. Yeah. That's yeah. Nate yeah. Orf could field the ball. At <laughs> <several traditions. laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just like Ryan dropped the unpleasantness as a way to describe uh, the Dodger series. And it seemed like a very proper and Southern way to describe what's been like a really awful year. So maybe I'll just refer to this season as the unpleasantness going forward. And that that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. No, I, yeah, I mean, you guys kind of covered a lot of the other bright spots. I was going to re- bring up Nottingham, even though, you know, he failed to hit the ball a ton. But when he did hit it, it went very far. So, you know, and catchers take a while to develop. So who knows? Maybe next year he's one to dream on. But Is
1: that just our theme this year is catchers take a while to develop? I feel like that's the most repetitive thing we've said yeah. since like April was catchers take a while to develop. And it's also, true. the Brewers
0: ruined catchers, but that's,
1: that's the old. Brewers yeah. ruined catchers and catchers take a while to develop. Both are factually true and indisputable. Although it
3: does not take the Brewers' long to ruin pitchers, which seems to go against both of those things. It's in conflict.
1: Right. It's, the, the thing I was thinking, and now I'm, like, jumping to the negative because that seems to be where the Brewers fans are perpetually stuck, is every year you had that one bullpen pitcher who you're like, we can count on him next year because, damn, did he do good this year.
0: Eric Yardley's that guy, right? Like, he's totally. going to have, like, a 6 ERA next year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> DFA by mid-May. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Uh, Jay did have another Patreon question. Uh, dealing with Ryan Braun. He says, if this was Braun's last game as a brewer, what's the one moment you will remember the most about him? So, Ryan Braun nostalgia time. I guess, Paul, what's your number one memory? Uh, it's the bomb to put him in the playoffs.
3: The the West Helms day. Um, uh, that It's a great you call. It actually got them to playoffs for the first time in forever. It was so good. Um, but, I don't know. He, he actually, Ryan Braun was very clutch. He came through in a lot of big moments. So, there's a lot of good they're all home runs, but there's a lot of good Braun home runs out there. Um, not a lot of defensive gems as you would expect, um, but uh, I, I will mostly remember that and him playing a brutal third base, but that home run was fantastic. <laughs> it is the perfect Brewer moment. It is a, uh, a great cogent, you call where he's genuinely excited. Um, and uh, I, I, I like listen to that on a regular basis still. So that's it for me.
2: I think for me, it's when he walked in spring training in 2012, to the uh to the press conference like that is honestly what i'm <laughs> going to remember i mean like i'm going to separate ryan braun the person from ryan braun the player because obviously paul's right it's the home run to get them in in game 162 in, in 2008 but i am going to remember him being so cocky and arrogant at that moment and knowing what we do now about like what happened afterwards and all that that like he seems to have genuinely become a better person, but man, he was, he was a pretty, uh, insufferable. insufferable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, (laughs) in that moment, that was, yeah, that was not good. And especially knowing what we know, looking back on it now, like, yeah, he, he came out like guns blazing and really, really arrogant in that moment. And yeah, that, that's something that's going to to stick with me forever and I will never have the pure unadulterated fandom of Ryan Braun that that I, I probably should have for a player that was as good as he was and that I followed his entire career from the moment he was drafted you know to the to the end of his career and all that like there's always going to be that that mark on him in my mind and I guess I I don't really talk about that a whole lot but like There's something there about it that I have never really, it's never really been settled for me.
1: Well, he's the only significant stain on the Brewers franchise while also being, it's weird because he's a big bright spot on the franchise while being the only significant stain. There's other moments that were not great, but nothing quite as scarring as this one was, especially at the time when, I mean, unfortunately for him, it happened right before the world kind of stopped caring about PEDs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But also it was at the moment where if you did get caught with PEDs, the world was going to forgive you. You just said, yeah, I couldn't stay healthy. I took them because I wanted to help my team and then went away.
2: Well, I think he probably cost himself a lot of the goodwill that could have come from that by how he behaved after the first incident and when he thought Mm. he had gotten away with it when he thought that the because of the (laughs) the because of the the screw up in handling the the sample and whatever when he thought he'd gotten away with it the way he acted like will always be held against him by a lot of people definitely
1: yeah i think mine is actually as great as that 2008 moment is i think i associate it so much with Cece. Because that was just such a dominant start. And then watching him like pumping off the mound as he's coming and they get the last out. Yeah. That and I hear I should hear Euchre, but instead I hear Rock going, Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Over and over again when I think (laughs) of that moment. But that's a I think the 2011 helicopter home run with the bat
0: out running down first base is the Corey Hart like just arms extended at second base which you can see once he makes contact it was yeah yeah. that that is because
1: it's a moment that represents 2011 very well it was a season filled with glee and joy and a lot of probably I think 2011 was more fun to me than the 2018 Brewers, because the 2018 yeah. Brewers felt like a very complete team. And it was just like, holy crap, the Brewers have a dominant baseball team. This is awesome. <laughs> Where the 2011 Brewers much more felt like they're, because of the, the top talent they have, they felt a lot Luckier and you know, like they enjoyed the game a little bit more and had a little bit more energy because of the shortcomings they have. Niger Morgan should not have been a key player on any baseball team at that point in his career, <laughs> but there he was. He was time and time again coming up with big moments. Uh, you have Carlos Gomez establishing his relevance in a season that he lost his full time playing <laughs> spot to Niger Morgan. Yep. You have, uh, you know, r- the Ricky Weeks continual comeback from irrelevance to like, hey, this is my actual talent level. And you have Unieski Betancourt. So to see the like <laughs> T put on that with Ryan Braun hitting that grand slam or not the grand slam, the home run that put them in and that just helicopter celebration that they turned into a bobblehead. Yeah. It was it was so enjoyable and something that I think when I think of like the top tier Ryan Braun, that's it for me. And also yeah. it was the first MVP we had since uh Robin Yaound which was also nice. Unfortunately, we only got to enjoy it because then, as Ryan already talked about in 2012, you know, in December, we find out about the test. In 2012, in spring training, he's out there uh, screaming to the gods about how great he is. He ruins his relationship with Aaron Rodgers, which was devastating because they had the greatest yeah. MVP bromance in the history of sports. R.I.P. 12 <laughs> <laughs> Italian scratch kitchen. Oh, so delicious it was the last moment we got to enjoy Braun without anything really sitting like under that. It, like we got to enjoy peak brawn without like having to think in the back of our heads. Cause 2012, we still enjoyed him. Cause we thought he did good. Um, I think we all knew the truth, but a lot of us were lying to ourselves, especially me, who was pretty young then and too immature to accept that. Uh, yeah. He like, if an athlete gets caught for cheating, they definitely cheat. like we're cheating. It just is like, I'm making up a bunch of words today. I said shot. I said remembrance. I think I uh, I have uh, been full of made up words today. And it's because I woke up at 940 and we started recording this at 10. So I'm still in wake
0: up mode. It takes me like three hours. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. No, I think you make a really good point, though, that home run against the Marlins in 2011 is like that last, I guess, untainted for lack of a better real word uh, moment in in ryan Braun's career and i was gonna pick that one too but not even thinking about like that's kind of the last pure ryan Braun moment that we had right but going aside from that after that i loved how he kind of just dove headfirst into the pro wrestling heel role too like the booze gave him power like there's no (laughs) doubt about that and he just soaked it in and kind of loved it and there's a part of me that kind of loved that too like uh you know, even knowing what he did, but just willing to embrace being the villain and breaking the hearts of the people of Chicago over and over again.
2: And Philadelphia, an oddly. like yeah, um, that the was Phyllis always a weird too. one after the that. Truth. Yeah, the
0: guy could hit
1: in Philly and it didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Uh, especially considering they only played three games there every year, but man, like outside of the the Cubs and the Reds, I don't know if he killed anybody more than the Phillies. I mean, to
1: be fair, everyone hit in Philly, but not quite like Ryan Braun did.
0: Right. Right. So I don't know. I guess we're going to have a lot more time to maybe reminisce about Ryan Braun later this offseason, kind of depending on what the brewers and what he decides to do. So I guess we can, we can look forward to that a little bit later this winter as well. Um, Another Patreon question we got one from Darren Jones. He says, "Speaking of the offseason, predict someone with a remaining with remaining team control that won't be in the organization on opening day next season by way of either trade, non-tender, or declined option." I guess Braun would be an easy pick here, but I guess Ryan, what do you got?
2: I'm gonna go with Ben Gamel. I think that mm-hmm. they are going to move on from him and try to figure out a different way to to make all this work. And I think they already have the younger, cheaper replacement for his role already on the team in Tyron Taylor. So I think that that would be the direction that they end up going with. That is letting him probably just non-tendering him would be my guess.
1: Uh, I think he's actually on a team option, right? He signed a two year deal. So it'd be declining the option.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. That counts, though. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Either way, he's gone.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mine would be Eric Sogard.
2: Declining I, that, the option. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I know they like him. I know they, like, want that defensive... I know, like, Craig Council just wants the, like, next version of himself to always be on the team. <laughs> but... I, I just think there's other ways to do it. And with that jammed middle infield, and you're going to have to get Jericho sometime at third base, I think the playing yep. opportunities for Sogard are going to be limited. And it's not going to be worthwhile having a bad left-handed bat who is okay at defense sitting in, on your bench.
3: All true. I'm just going to take the easy way out and see a Ryan Healy because he's terrible. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, they uh, use to start off him, which right. Too.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, is it, did they use his last option? Oh, I man. think so, right?
3: I thought he had one left, but maybe hey, not.
1: You might be right. Let's uh, do some in-show investigation on Fangraphs. Ryan Healy, Fangraphs, because uh, they actually that's have that's the option bad. counter now, which took way too long for any baseball site to. Add. Oh no, he has so many options. I thought, yeah, I shouldn't so say. So uh, but he is arb eligible next season. <laughs> so <laughs> you're probably that's right. I've one. Yes. Yeah. So. He,
3: He's terrible. He completes the roles of everybody being terrible who they picked up in the offseason. So,
1: and he was your DH in, <laughs> in game playoff, two of in a, a three-game playoff, playoff game.
2: In an elimination game, nonetheless, yeah. inconceivable, yeah. inconceivable.
1: I like listener to the show JD. I think actually asked the Brewers Authentic Store if he could if there was an opportunity for him to purchase the lineup card with Ryan Healy <laughs> at DH.
0: <laughs> Yikes. I guess I'll think outside the box. Maybe Manny Pena. I think maybe uh, Jacob Nottingham showed a little bit of something, uh, enough to kind of give him that that right-handed catcher role next year. But they clearly like Manny Pena and. Maybe it all goes out the door when they sign JT Rio Muto to a one-year deal. We'll see.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I thought about Pina, but I think they just like him so much. He's such a yeah. integral part of – and he's still inexpensive, too, so they're not yeah. going to have to pay him he's much. he's
0: cheap. He's a glue guy. He yeah. He's good defensively. There's really no reason to get rid of him other than to give Nottingham a shot. But right, Well,
1: add two, three catchers is almost a legitimate thing next year with the 26-man roster, right?
0: That's true. Was, true, when you one. got to
1: do the 13 and 13 and you actually have to play by the rules that were created in the soft season, he, <laughs> he is almost assuredly that you'll need the three. And yeah. I think you'll want as good as Nottingham and Pena are defensively, Pena is significantly better than Nottingham is defensively. So I think you want that guy and he might just be your late inning catcher versus the right side of the platoon.
0: Yeah. I guess speaking of catchers, maybe Omar Narvaez not around next year. It's not like they gave up a ton to get him, which kind of leads me to my next question, which I think is specifically here to make Brad mad. Cause I told Brad, I was going to tease him about this later this year, but Darren Jones also asking who will the brewers trade their 2021 competitive balance round a pick for this year? Because it's become a David Stern's tradition to just throw away that pick and it drives Brad nuts.
1: It just makes no here is a team that like their bragging point is we manipulate money better than all of you. So here's this opportunity to have an expanded pool of money you can manipulate in the draft. And you're like, eh f this and you just kick it to the door i don't get it why does this team at the way they operate using intelligence and like data manipulation and money configuration more intelligently than a lot of other orgs why does that front office see no value in having an expanded pool because they don't want to spend money as the simple solution right they just don't want to spend the money and they're like another two million dollars we've got to spend on some freshman (laughs) like no get out of here and they chase it away but why like the more shots you have in the draft, the more likely you are to be successful. So you just throw away one of the shots. It's I don't like it. <laughs> but yeah, he's gonna trade it away for some like
0: point zero eight yeah. war reliever. That's right. Yeah. Whatever Seattle's offering up as a middle reliever, gone, I'm sure. He's gonna get Taylor Williams back from the Padres with it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, I guess Ryan Paul. Anybody? <laughs> How do you feel about I don't this? I do know. Like, like
2: it, yes, it it has annoyed me as a draft hound that they've traded away those picks, and like they got Claudio, and then all of a sudden, like you know, the Alex Claudio role becomes less significant because you know Lugies aren't really a thing anymore. But yeah. they still managed to actually use him to effect this year, so that was <laughs> that was actually kind of fine. Like, but. Yeah, I I would much rather see them hold on to that pick and do something with it and get, like Brad's talking about rearrange the money so you can put more towards uh, an early pick. Something along those lines would be fantastic, but I don't know. I they they also seem pretty dedicated to the idea that in the draft it's like for them they they don't seem to have like guys that they really love and want to give extra money to like look at the Ethan small situation when they took Ethan small he was a guy who most people had going significantly later than where they took him they liked him they thought he was the best player on their board and they wanted to bring him in because they liked the ability he potentially has to be you know a a pitch manipulator and and that sort of thing so they brought him in and that's great but that definitely wasn't like driven by finance. You know what I mean? That wasn't a a, a thing that was driven by, well, we can we can rearrange money and, and get more out of this. They just took the best player that they had on their board. And if they continue to behave like that, I guess having the extra money probably isn't it, it isn't really an advantageous to them anyway. So maybe it just doesn't matter. I don't know.
1: I think, like, I I was much less upset about them doing it with the second round, the round B, than the round A. Because round A, you still got some valuable guys. But I think the thing that confused me the most about it was they're so good at, like, getting that guy who's going to cost more than teams are willing to pay at, like, the back end. Like, round 10, round 11. um, Outside of your traditional things where they're like, hey, we can get this high value, a high, like, very raw, but potentially very good prospect pay him a little bit more than everyone else is willing to pay him at the spot and keep him from like get him into our system instead of letting him go to college or letting him go back to school or go from Juco to four year. So I think that's the area where it confuses me the most because they've been so good at that. But I guess like Ryan said, they're already good at manipulating what they're working with anyway, that having the extra money doesn't end up making a difference because they can just still play with their
0: pool and be fine. Yeah, I guess my thing is, you're still a bad farm system and you kind of just need bodies at some point. Right. So why are you trading away a, you know, supplemental first or second round pick constantly? I mean, I get the argument that with that draft pick, you're hoping to get somebody who will eventually become a major leaguer. And you're trading that pick for somebody who already is a major leaguer. So on some extent, it's already a value play. Right. But, you know, I selfishly like Brad, I like, dreaming about prospects that you get for keep and then follow them through the system. That's a lot more fun than, you know, a catcher who can't hit or a lefty reliever. So, I don't know. Selfishly on that aspect. Yeah. To see them keep it. I don't know.
1: A catcher, uh, at least the catcher was supposed to hit.
0: Yeah, but you know and,
1: as, and they did the Paul the thing that Paul talks about they're like oh lefty hitter who has had had one good offensive season and he will play well in Miller Park yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it's it's exactly that like oh you'll see peak offense from him in Miller Park because it's a lefty hitter saving blah blah blah, blah, blah. as we, opposed we all... to
0: yeah yeah i mean we talked about Avi Garcia's uh launch angle being like 7 Omar narvaez is like 94 but. but on the opposite,
1: <laughs> on the opposite scale he has balls, like yeah. no hard hit <laughs> like yeah, everything is like 80 fly miles fly per hour yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh, like the complete inverse it's like Avi can hit everything but he hits it no higher than dead middle of the outfield wall and our her Omar hits everything 90 feet into the or like 900 feet into the sky and they go t- 12 feet everything's a high
0: pop up yeah, so, I don't know. I, it's virtually a guarantee that they're going to trade that pick anyway. So, we'll see who it's for. It and at least give us something. It'll give us something to talk about. In Especially December,
1: in yeah. this season where, like, they are not going to want to spend money.
0: Yeah. It's a cheap opportunity to get... You know, another big league player, like I said, but the only thing that gives
1: me hope for the offseason is that Mark A is so impatient and like such a tinkerer and a backseat driver. He seems to have been less so in the David Stearns era, but I hope he goes, David, the offense is bad. David, we need new people. David, the offense was bad. And yeah, then David Stearns will bring out a chart that will confuse Mark A, and Mark will just nod because he doesn't want to feel dumb, and then, like, everything will stay the same. Oh, this is I a very,
2: how this meeting's go. Yeah, this is a very uh, <laughs> elaborate narrative you've constructed, Brad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is Sandy how, Alderson's calling David Stearns to try to lure him to New York. Like, so, we maybe. saw how
1: bad... Uh, Oh, God, if I can't remember his name, the good reliever who the Cubs signed and now is bad. Kimbrel. We saw how bad, like, Mark A obviously wanted Craig Kimbrel. Yeah. Uh, so he is sitting there going, but you know, like, David Sterns was like, now, Mark, look at our spending chart. Look at our plan. Look at his performance over the years. See how he his velocity's going down? And Mark's like, oh, I have to nod yes, or they're going to think I don't understand baseball. Damn it. That's what happened there, in my opinion, and I think like that's just how he does it. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 you're not going to Kyle Loesch me, Mark. That's not happening to David Stearns. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, James, you just hit on it, but we probably should bring that up because we were requested on Twitter to to discuss that the uh, oh yeah the Mets rumor and David Stearns. Oh now, yeah,
0: I forgot about that. Yeah, Aslatam, our our old friend Aslatam, uh, sent us a Twitter note uh, talking about that rumor that. Once again, I feel like it's an annual rumor at this point, too, sure. that David Stern is going to go to the Mets. Uh, but with Sandy Cohen there, and uh, did they officially install Sandy Alderson as kind of the head guy there? Or is that still kind so of So
2: Alderson is being brought in to manage the transition and to try sure. to bring, yeah, to basically bring the new GM in because Brody, Brody Van V is uh, on his way out. So yeah, that who that, would have
1: thought that an agent as GM would have gone so poorly? Well, it, it's just yeah. so
2: Mets like that's just yeah. the, the standard clusterfuck that you get with the Mets. So
1: I, I love that. They're like, no, we're going to be the first to discover the new thing. <laughs> it just goes so
2: bad. But David Stearns is a New York kid, right? He, he grew yeah. up in New York. Um, yeah. I don't know if he grew up a, a Mets or a Yankees fan or whatever, but like the idea I of him. About a Mets fan, but yeah, yeah. Uh, the idea of him going back to new york to run a team that is now all of a sudden like being a bigger budget well yeah yeah, and being run in a you know presumably more sane way because how could it be run in a less sane way so i don't know like i i think that it it could have appeal for him but it does sound like the brewers would just kick him to president of baseball ops and then make matt arnold the the uh gm GM. so like and david stearns would continue to do basically exactly what he's done anyway but I, they would, they would just do that because he, because he can. I don't know. The
1: only difference then is that you, like David Stearns gets to escape all the necessary media thing, and you can say like, "No, Matt's the GM. Talk to him." Right, it's the it,
0: Theo Jed Hoyer route, right? Nick like, Burke. yeah, Everybody gives Theo the credit, but Jed's the one making the trades. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I think the Brewers already did this. Did they do this last year? I forget when when they gave him the promotion because MLB has the rule that. If you're under contract, you can only leave for a, a promotion, right? So right. the Brewers kinda of upgraded his title to kind of prevent that. Yeah, That was uh, to leaving for a straight GM move.
1: Um I think that was the first Brody year, right? Was it, was the first the, Brody? Yeah, yeah, it was the Yeah. Like Bro Open. Brody right. became a free agent. It's about when his contract was coming up because it was at the three year mark. Yeah. I think this it, was
2: after twenty eighteen, and it was mm-hmm. the Giants also were involved when they hired yeah. uh, when they hired oh the guy from LA from Oakland. Yeah. Why am I? Yeah.
0: Yes. I know who you're talking about. I just don't want to butcher the name. I can't think of it offhand. So, yeah. yeah.
2: But, yes. I mean, when... I
0: could try butchering it. I butchered every other word in
2: yeah, the English language. I
1: don't, I don't even – I can't recall it.
0: But, yeah, point being is, like, if the Mets are going to do this, they probably have to offer him straight-up president of baseball ops, no GM. But, I mean, the Brewers would probably gladly do that. And I think that's kind of already been intimated that that's kind of the route that the Brewers might go this offseason yep. it, because they – They've been fending off suitors for Matt Arnold for years, too, right? So uh, it'd be a one way one way to keep both of them around. But kind of interesting to think about, like, what would a post-Sterns world look like for the Brewers if they were to lose them? You know, I don't want to think about, the about that right now. This yeah. season
2: has been bad enough. I don't it's want to think enough. about that. <laughs> yeah. um, it'd be
1: the
0: last thing 2020 has for us, yeah.
1: I think the other thing, too, then, is then you kind of become more protected with matt arnold right who they've almost lost it seems like every season since 2018 yeah and i know they value very highly they do not want to lose matt to um anything that would so if you make him gm and then make that lateral move slash other teams have to promote him and he's been somewhat unproven in that managerial role and you can't just give him a straight up promotion it makes things a little bit more difficult, uh, and then what you probably move Montgomery into, assistant GM. Yeah, I think so. Unless he is, isn't Montgomery already AGM. Yeah, he's really know one of him. the AGMs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is he? I thought he was this uh, VP of development of player development Yeah, some, something,
2: he's like something, like that. something in that vein i mean it's he's like part it, of the yeah
1: it's like a split role there, he's but, one gotcha. of the
2: inner council of people you know
1: so you can but you can make him full assistant gm and then hope you don't lose him for another year yeah just make up a title
0: that's fine that's how these things apparently yes. go but yeah <laughs> um so yeah lots of good questions this week uh reminder you can send us a question on twitter like that one or you can sign up to become a patron and you get question priority when you do. And Ryan, we've got a new patron shout out. And I guess it's more of a welcome back this week,
2: right? Yeah, I believe James Vandenberg was with us before and is rejoining us. So welcome back. I'm pretty sure, James, I, I think you were with us before. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I know we, we took a question from James a couple of weeks ago. So we want to get that shout out in there. And a reminder, uh, when you do sign up to become a patron, as we just said, you get that shout out, you get question priority, uh, and you'll be entered in to Paul's t shirt contest as well. So remember that. Uh, in the meantime, if you have something you want us to talk about, we put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account. That's at MKE Tailgate. Reply to that tweet with your question, or you can follow all of us individually on Twitter. Ryan is at RD Top, Paul is at Badger Noonan, Brad is at Brew Crew Blue, and I'm at James L. If you haven't already, please do. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast. anywhere else you listen to the podcast, hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find the podcast as well. Uh, That'll wrap things up for this week. I believe next week we'll plan on kind of going over our uh, season prop bets that we made at the start of the 6C game season. And uh, I know firsthand that my predictions did not go very well. Uh, we'll see where the rest of us rank, and and uh, cover all of those next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Thanks for listening.
1: So Ray Montgomery is currently Dwight Schrute. (laughs) (laughs) Assisted
2: to the GM.
1: That's what it is. It legitimately is.
2: (laughs) I'm so glad I didn't hit stop.